Okay, welcome back to the Sonic Cloth. I know it's been a minute, but uh, shit gets in the way, and um, that's just how it goes sometimes. But uh, we are back at it, and uh, I'm stoked today because I've got my uh, good pal, my brother in rock, uh, Clayton. How you doing, man? What's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for collabing on this episode. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, of course. So a little background on on us. We, we go back... <laughs> A very long time. I was thinking like the other day, I was like nearly 20 years. And and at this point, um, you know, besides being really good friends, like music has been something that's that's kept us close uh, throughout the years um, and getting older and all the uh, forces in life that try to pull us away <laughs> from <laughs> being obsessed with music. Um, and, and definitely one, one area of music, although we see eye to eye on a lot of shit, obviously, but one thing that has always been a constant from us, I think, since the beginning, I think you're a little you're a little earlier to to this than I was. It took me a, a minute to get in, but um, is basically like all forms of like hard rock. But today we're going to be uh, honing in on uh, hard rock from the 60s and from the 70s. And that is really the impetus for for today's episode, which we're calling Riff City. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know loosely defining it as a 70s hard rock i think a little bit of late 60s in there too mm-hmm. um heavy psych rock proto metal kind of some heavy prog stuff uh, i don't know yeah, what else, am i missing anything else um just yeah more more like this there's sub other sub genres in that vein like heavy blues and heavy psych and i mean there's there's so much like i'm not really good with like naming genres or whatever but you know there's so much overlap in these kind of areas especially in like the late 60s and early 70s. And I feel like so many bands who are like in one camp or the other are kind of like feeding off each other anyway. So there's like a ton of influences that kind of cross over there. But but yeah, definitely the focus for today. And yeah, I mean, but we I think we did a really good job of kind of breaking out of traditional kind of blues rock territory. And um, some of your selections for tracks especially are, are you know, some some really solid deep cuts from different parts of the world that are, you know, bring in, uh, you know, these, these, these other types of influences that you wouldn't, you know, uh, be expecting necessarily in, in riff oriented heavy rock. So that's, which is always cool. And yeah, no, no, no Eric Cla- Clapton on this episode. No, sir. None. <laughs> I mean, some of this, I guess, maybe would be loosely categorized as classic rock, but the classic rock presumes that it's like well-known or, and it's on like the classic rock station. Mm-hmm. And like wherever you live, like that plays the same like twenty five classic rock songs over and over. Right. Um, right. This is more like the the most rocking stuff of that era, but the stuff that definitely didn't make it onto radio. Um, mm-hmm. Like the closest you're gonna get to like radio classic rock here is Led Zeppelin, and we're not we're not out here picking Led Zeppelin songs and Sabbath songs because that's just where you, that that's just the starting point and. Uh, you know, you don't need us to go through and list list. Uh, you know, the the key Zeppelin song or the key Sabbath song or, deep, or even Deep Purple. I mean, right? It's just, it's just too surface. So we're we're going a little deeper with that stuff. Um, you and I could talk about those bands for oh, for, and and have, but you know, for the purposes of the pod, you know, we got to go into some 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 deeper some deeper territory. Well, and the, yeah, the those are. Those guys are all the best too. Like that—that's—that's that's the thing, you know. Yeah. What I mean? Oh yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, yeah. It, 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 as far as as far as like riff-oriented heavy rock or heavy blues, psychedelic rock or prog, I mean, does it get really any better than like 
you know, Master of Reality or Sabbath 4, you know, Zeppelin 2 or, you know, those those are the classics. They're on the Mount Rushmore, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, that's for today. And one of the things that I appreciate about your podcast is, you know, we take those things that we know, those things that we were familiar with and kind of branch out into something new, um, you know, find some deeper tracks some deeper cuts. That's, yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the things that makes this podcast great. So all shucks <laughs> talking about you dog no no let's change subjects immediately <laughs> well the other thing that all this shit has in common is is of course the riff that is the we can agree that is the most important factor here in this music that that is like what sustains everything here that is what the players are kind of like building their songs off of uh mm. generally speaking so maybe we can get into like talking about a riff you know what's a riff what what makes a good riff yeah um you know i'm not i'm not like classically trained musician or anything and don't really know a lot about musical terminology or whatever um but that's why we're talking about riffs you don't we don't need to know shit exactly (laughs) it's like literally a feeling (laughs) yeah yeah feeling in the loins right that's right in your gut and the loins yeah (laughs) um so yeah i mean for me i guess uh, a riff is well not I mean I think it can be safely defined as like a musical like phrase um, that adds kind of like melodic structure like recurring melodic structure to a song and for me someone who's always been interested in guitar oriented or guitar centric music that's kind of like the energy or like the gravitational pull of a song that's where like as a guitar player that's where your attention goes almost all the time so you know it's for us who ap- appreciate the guitar work um it's kind of like the trademark of the song you know like uh you when you and i are talking about like you know music that we're into and you're like hey have you heard this track from this record i was just like yeah probably but i can't think of it you just recite the riff we just do like (laughs) 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 yeah exactly and i'm like yeah i've heard that one you know so like that's that's what a riff is to me i know that 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 you know that gets (laughs) you know that that uh that terminology gets kind of conflated with, you know, is it a riff or is it a lick or is it a whatever, you know, I don't know. But uh, I know that there's differences between these things probably and amongst like, you know, real, you know, actual musicians, you know, they could probably talk about that um, with a little more uh, substance. But, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's the best way I know how to define it. But, but uh, what else am I missing here? Um, No, I think you're right. I think, you know, musicians use the term riff to to represent like a a musical idea a melodic idea maybe something to build off something that is a the primary characteristic of a song that they want emphasized Mm -hmm. um so like you know lady gaga might be in the studio being like okay so i'm working on this riff we're kind of taking a generalized term down to like what sort of an its original meaning was like in, in the context of this era like you know, a riff is is something you're playing on guitar, maybe bass, yeah. Um, and all other uh, musical accompaniment is just is uh, pretty much there to serve the riff in one way, in some way. And uh, you know, a riff can be good, a riff can be bad, a riff can make a song, a riff can detract from a song. I mean, that's all that's all tangible and and, and dependent and subjective. Mm-hmm. But um, 
that really is the thing that we're going to be talking about. Like every single song we've picked out has like a discernible riff. Every almost everything in this kind of like uh, dinosaur era of of rock is a little. It's a little cavemanish. It's a little macho. Um, <laughs> it's like a little bit where the, everyone stopped, not stopped doing, but maybe switch drugs a little bit. You know. Mm acid and and marijuana well the, i think the marijuana continues throughout no matter what that's that's yeah. constant you know the lsd and the mushrooms eventually just kind of switched over to like speed and coke cocaine mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's the i think we have lenny in part to thank for that but who i don't know oh big time big time with the speed especially <laughs> so uh you know maybe this is a factor in some of this stuff as well who knows it's it's, it's really transitioning from like the late 60s to the 70s and mm -hmm. um you mentioned you know riffs and licks and i don't think anyone really uses the term lick unless you're like in the fucking rolling stones or something you're, you're yeah. <laughs> like unless you're wearing like you know dad jeans or something yeah yeah licks you know a lick can be good i would never refer to a guitar part as a lick um in a, in a serious way you wouldn't yeah. turn, turn to your friend at a show and be like dude this is this is the lick. this is this lick right here man <laughs> this lick right here man i love it no one anticipates the lick you anticipate the riff yeah i think most people are familiar with this kind of music like even if it's in like a superficial cartoonish kind of way but um you know what we're focusing on today is just it's kind of like the hardest stuff the grooviest stuff and the most um, maybe this, the kind of stuff that's a bit out there too, that's still in this realm, but kind of like uh, adventuring into different other things. But, you know, we're focusing on 70s hard rock at the end of the day. This is where kind of blues rock, like stuff like Cream and Zeppelin was kind of starting to mutate into something heavier, um, mm -hmm. something more bass heavy, I think, as well. Uh, definitely like distortion was getting a lot like uh, bigger. A lot, a lot fuller, a lot nastier. Um, bands were playing faster in general. They were incorporating different guitar techniques into their sound. Um, I'm talking about stuff like palm muting, um, you know, different types of harmonics, kind of like high pitched atonal guitar kind of shit, like d even dissonant chords and stuff. Um, maybe like a, even a less refined approach to solos. I don't know. These are all kind of observations I have as I like kind of engulfed myself in like this riff mania i mean i think i have an ear towards listening kind of to the like the wilder stuff but um i don't know how like how would you cat categorize the riffs in this area because you know, there was riffs in the 60s you had blue cheer zeppelin early sabbath and we had riffs in the 80s and the 90s i mean like what what is it about these riffs in particular that that is that is defining well i think you i think you pretty much hit the nail on the head um like it this is just a bunch of guys who are taking heavy blues and just going the next step with it i mean everything's a little heavier a little funkier a little fastier fastier <laughs> a little faster a little fast a little trippier uh you know like just a little rougher around the edges you know as you said i mean you know this is at an era where people are taking you know, the mid to late 60s blues rock that you just described, you know, early stones, yardbirds, the animals, um, you know, and then electric blues guys and really just kind of turning up the distortion and, um, you know, with an emphasis on on speed, not necessarily precision, but, um, you know, like energy, exactly energy yeah. and, and tone and those sounds that you just described, you know, like palm muting is a big one. You know, they call it proto metal for a reason. I mean, metal is really one of the 
you know, the, the long lasting, longest lasting offshoots of, of the music that we're about to kind of get into, you know, this is mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it is, is uh, a precursor to really, really great metal or just the genre in particular, or just the genre in general. And, um, and that's identifiable, that influence is identifiable, especially in the palm muted kind of, kind of riff. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a step away from, from kind of that like jangly kind of 60s pop -y kind of blues and, and, you know, thanks to bands like Blue Cheer and thanks to bands like Cream and Zeppelin and Sabbath, of course, but they're, you know, we're taking, we're taking giant leaps into, you know, really, really distorted, heavier kind of territory with, with some of these riffs. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I think about it. I mean, and, and, and that, and that transcends, of course, like, you know, there's, there's the, the, a lot of this stuff I think that we're going to get into can kind of be generally categorized under blues rock, but, you know, riffs are employed in all manner of ways and in all different kinds of genres. I mean, I'm certainly no expert. I'm, I'm no, <laughs> you know, to your listeners, you know, this is just me spouting off shit that I think I know. So, but, you know, like punk is, you know, uh, you know, the mid to late seventies utilized riff and bands like Iggy and the Stooges um, or just the Stooges and television and things like that. Thanks in large part to some of the bands that we're about to kind of explore yeah. and talk about today. So I think a lot of punk bands hated some of the shit that we're going to go into today too. It just, oh, no, it just no. really depends on like what yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Like um, the, like, it's like you're saying the, the through line here from these bands is to like heavy metal bands of the late seventies and eighties, like early Judas priest and mm -hmm. um, iron maiden and stuff like that um, is probably the most descendant. And then all the way up. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, like up until modern times, like musicians and artists these days who are like obsessed with these bands that we're going to be talking about today are all in somewhere in the heavy and the metal universe. Like it, 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 not a lot of other types of bands pull influence and inspiration from, from here, you know, mm -hmm. not a lot of pop acts like bringing like big riffs like this and stuff like that. So that that's definitely like the, the, the most direct through line. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're avoiding a lot of like the big, the big, huge bands on this track list. I mean, I think, you know, a couple slipped in and that's, to that's totally fine. But um, we already mentioned Zeppelin, Sabbath, Deep Purple. Like what are some other big groups that fall into this universe that I think, you know, people to get a foundation in? I think bands like Motorhead, obviously. I mentioned the Stooges. They're a very riff heavy band. Hawkwind, Blue Cheer, we've talked about. King Crimson even, even though that's, a riff is, is you know, in, in the context of King Crimson Prague, you know, a riff is not necessarily something that provides structure to a song. It could, but in so many cases, it's it's just one component of something that's pretty vast. By the way, super stoked to tell your listeners that we'll be seeing those those dudes in a couple of weeks. Um, and oh, yeah. Super excited about that. So I'm kind of like in a King Crimson state of mind right now. I've been going back through their discography, as have you. Yeah, gosh, I'm drawing a few blanks right now, but I think a lot of those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. You know, getting into kind of not a lower tier, but a more obscure tier. But for people who like this kind of music, these guys aren't are obscure. You know, bands like Budgie, uh, Sir Lord Baltimore, the Blue Oyster Cult, a very big band. 
some of the stuff out of uh, Germany in the 70s, Amandul 2, Lucifer's Friend, that's also kind of like stuff that is well worth checking out that is definitely kind of like hidden hidden gems um, that's mm-hmm. very rocking. And it's not just, you know, a lot of this music is either American or British, like dominated, I would say. But you can kind of go to Europe and South America and even, even uh, you know, uh, East Asia for some of the stuff as well. And And the other thing I wanted to say was like, who do you think are the most influential like guitar and riff like riff crafters in this realm including stuff we did especially stuff we're not going to cover today right right well you know the big the big guys the guys who are like in the you know in the pantheon of like heavy rock legends you know you got jimmy page tony Iommi, richie blackmore i mean there's so many like amazing guitar duos or singular guitar acts from this era that i'm you know undoubtedly going to to leave out like the great many of them but you know the skinner dudes uh, i'm talking about you know gary rosington collins ed king you know from those early records you know allman brothers the dudes from from um thin lizzy you know yeah so and and i'm obviously you know omitting tons of really really good shit here but um, that's just the stuff I'm mostly familiar with in terms of like, you know, these are the heavy hitters. Those are the guys who are in like the, you know, the Hall of Fame, so to speak. But Well, those big ones, Richie Blackmore, Jimmy Page, Tony, I mean, those were all, if I'm not mistaken, the principal songwriters of all those bands. Yeah. They were the ones who were really writing most of the music. And they're also the ones writing the riffs. And again, like there's, there's really no separation between like the song and the riff are like very, almost very much the same thing. Not, mm-hmm. not to diminish the other accompanying instruments, but like that, that's, that's where I imagine it all starts for the most part. You know, you've probably got just, you know, a bank of riffs written and, and you're just pulling, pulling them out and seeing what riffs can play nice together. Um, saving yeah. riffs for certain, for certain, you know, works, certain moods or whatever. So yeah, that's, def- that's, that's what I imagine are the big influences here on these bands also i mean i guarantee they go way way earlier you know getting into actual blues music um, original blues music as well um so i i I guarantee that those are all those original blues guys are all big influences these guys not just the the guys who took it and kind of amplified everything out what what recommendations um do you have of stuff that didn't make the cut kind of before we get into this track list and just so everyone knows it's it's following the same format uh, Clay chose four tracks. I chose four, and we kind of matched them up and made sure that, that we were covering, uh, you know, a, a lot of ground on those picks. Um, we're also going to be doing a, a a Rift City students episode, so we're going to be focusing in. I don't, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm thinking like music, last twenty years. I don't know if you want to go into the '90s, but uh, sure. No, that sounds great. Yeah, like twenty, the music of the last twenty years that is also like indebted to this kind of music, but hopefully also like pushing things forward too. I mean, I, whatever. If we want to throw a couple of straight up worship bands in there too, I don't care. Um, <laughs> this is one of those styles of music where like you're happy when somebody is doing something very adventurous and like different with it, but you're also fucking happy when they're just uh, studied and like so just pulling it off so fucking well, and it's just so good. But it reminds you a hundred percent of something else, but you don't care because it's just. Oh. It's, it's so great. There's a place for that. There really is. I mean, I, I, it, you know, we, you and I, we both listen to a ton of music, and um, it, there's, there's, there's bands whose thing is like pushing the genre forward, or perhaps 
you know, meddling different influences together and, and kind of, you know, seeing what can come out of it. And they take the art form very seriously and they take themselves as artists very seriously. And that's, that's great. Um, but then there's people like, as you just mentioned, who just kind of celebrate the form, you know, they're, they're just there to play the music that they love to play. They're born in and, the wrong decade. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and they don't care. They're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. And, and good on them, you know, more power to them. I mean, like, you know, if they're, if they're good at it, I mean, there, there are bands now who are, who've just taken, they're not really necessarily pushing that form forward, but who have it so down that like, you know, it's, they're almost better in a lot of respects to some of these legends that preceded them. I, he I hesitate to say better, but you know, they they've just kind of, they're, they're real students, you know, they've, they've, you know, studied the melodic components of the riff and, and come up with some new shit, um, which is very much derivative, but it's still a hell of a lot of fun. And those shows are always great. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, trying to put those guys down at all, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about this genre of music. I think it's, it will, it, you know, everything ebbs and flows, but you know, in five, 10, 15, 20 years, there's going to be another revival of this kind of stuff. Maybe. Well, this, shit, this shit has definitely come back in the last 10 years i would say um, oh 100 in a way in a in a way in which like it's definitely transcended your metal and, and hard rock sort of like traditional audiences into into something more broad but you know that that quality of like looking for adventurous stuff and then also being totally content with uh the stuff that's worshiping uh the stuff of the past it's that's sort of just like something that a lot of i think metal uh, hard rock people just have like ingrained in them. Like they might steer one way or another. I mean, there's definitely derivative bands that I, I don't find interesting in any kind of way. For sure. Um, yeah. And then there's ones where I'm just like, ah, it's just too undeniable. It's too, it's the songs are too good. It's crafted too well. Yeah. Um, so every, I think a lot of people who are, who appreciate like heavier music, rock, like riff oriented music can, can kind of slide, slide both ways where we're, uh, yeah, uh, we can we can do both. We can chew, you know, chew gum and walk at the same time. Um, I think you know, one of the differences, too, is like, you know, if there, there's we all know what a generic riff sounds like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like if, 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 if you know, these revivalist bands aren't aren't bringing anything new to the table, they're recycling the same pentatonic, you know, riff over and over again or just different variations of it, then that, that's not interesting. You know, no. you, even like the bands who are, you know, not necessarily pushing anything forward or expanding the form into new boundaries or whatever, you know, they're, they're at least doing something melodically that's interesting or rhythmically that's interesting. And they, they bring something new to the table, new and exciting to the table that kind of reinvigorates, you know, the, that great music of the past. There are definitely a shit ton of bands who don't do any of that and are, are just like opportuni opportunistic little shits who like, well, they take advantage of the fact that like really young listeners have not heard some of this stuff. So when they do hear it in that form, it seems really novel. It seems really interesting. It seems really like uh, powerful. And mm -hmm. if you don't have the context, then you don't really know how derivative <laughs> what you're listening to is and that there, there's absolutely nothing, no charisma or anything else being added in. So that 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 this kind of music does run that risk, I think. Is it, it is true that they you kind of do have to like wade through some shit 
especially in, in the newer stuff. Because I think you can listen to this. If you just listen to like a collection of these songs for like an hour or so, you might conclude that like if you're only skimming the surface, the stuff all sounds like the same, exactly the same. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where you really have to have to dig around and like pick out the nuances between these bands. Like, you know. Well, um, I think that's one of the cool things about, I mean, I'm, I'm personally glad you and I could have talked about any number of like different whatever musical categories or whatever, but I'm glad that you picked this one because it presents that challenge. You know, it's like, this is heavily mined territory in a sense, like, especially because, you know, in the past 10 or 15 years, there's been just this wave of like younger players and, and new artists who are who are tapping into that like late 60s, early 70s, heavy blues, psychedelic rock kind of thing. Um, and it's hard to kind of like, you know, dig through all of that music and come up with something that's interesting or, you know, obviously there are deep cuts in every single genre, but this was like, I appreciated the challenge of putting together a list of songs that wasn't obvious. I picked some more kind of like mainstream kind of stuff that probably a lot of your listeners have heard um, just because I don't know nearly as much about music as you do, but, but that's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did appreciate the challenge of like, let's find some early seventies hard rock or something that can be loosely classified as such. That would be interesting to the listener and not sound the same, you know what I mean? Because it, you can get burned out on, on, early 70s riff rock you know what i mean oh yeah there's there's sometimes i'm just not in the mood for this stuff at all but i i think you're right i mean i think i don't i don't know what my listeners listen to i mean it's one of those things i don't care either you know it doesn't matter like the point is like <laughs> either go either go down the rabbit hole or you don't you know yeah. or you or you start to go down it and then you're like not for me and then you bounce you know so mm. <laughs> all i could do all i could do is pre present it all we can do is present it and be like hey you want to go down here it is the 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 last thing about you know the influence this music has on on modern music i mean definitely heavy metal traditional metal psych rock space rock 100 mm -hmm. um but like if we're talking about individual scenes like definitely the entire stoner desert rock kind of mm -hmm. like doom light scene i'm talking about like earthless caius uncle acid red fang uh you know that kind of thing is all like the that is the most directly I love this era of music and this is like all I give a shit about. <laughs> like, right. 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 Um, and then you have, uh, and then you have stuff like, you know, Boris, um, Elder, Op even Opeth, like who are really influenced by like seventies, like obscure, like big rock, but like kind of in more adventurous ways yeah. um, to where it's not just, uh, it's not just a uh, straight up worship. It's, it's really like, that influence is there. That '70s fuzziness is there, but they're they, they they have their own sound. They have their own identity, and it's just a texture that they play with. Um, yeah, yeah. No, so many of the bands that you just touched on, I absolutely love. I remember the first time that I saw Earthless. I believe you were there. Yeah, it, yeah. It blew, it blew my mind. I was <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't know the the, the main guitar player guy. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what his name is, but he, they're all so, so incredibly talented. Um, um, Caius is, is obviously fucking great. Uncle Acid, I was lucky enough to see pre-COVID, um, and, and they're awesome as well. Um, Elder, I think is, is one of those bands that's like, they can really, 
they can really push things forward into because they have like a progier bent, but they're they're obviously like very much into riffing, jamming, and bringing incorporating some of those psychedelic elements. But also they're very much in in a in kind of like a contemporary metal kind of vein. So no, I mean I think you 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 did a great job of identifying those. I mean, Kylesa and Baroness or or Nastodon, you know, and Torch. Oh, big time. Are, are like are like you know um, some of the bigger I think metal acts these days that that go back and and use this this era um, as as a source of inspiration in different ways obviously and I, I love all those bands as well so even a band I don't like and I don't it's not like don't like I just don't care Tame Impala that band is definitely into like heavy seventies rock too because I hear it sometimes in their music and their music is like essentially pop like a, a pop music like a vintagey kind of pop music even they will like bring in some like hard riff kind of shit and like big drum bottom kind of drums and stuff like mm-hmm. that like into their stuff and so you see this, this kind of stuff infecting uh even pop even pop music at least the, the stuff that's more like pop music based in a some kind of traditional rock band kind of thing you hear a lot of this stuff in hip-hop samples too like Mad Lib did a whole album um, where he's just using like Krautrock, like 70s rock samples. It's really cool. And, and this is definitely like a good good place to mine for for breakbeats and shit like that. The, uh, the Lastly, I think, you know, before we get into this track list, which we're about to do, what um, recommendations do we have for, for people album wise to like go down here for stuff that, that they might have missed? I, you know, I'm stealing from your list here a bit, but yeah, of course, I did, I did have to, I did have to drop Trace Ombres by ZZ Top because that is just one of those records. It's so much fucking fun to listen to, and you gotta love Billy Gibbons, you know. And um, you know, you and I have talked about our our love for ZZ Top and like how when we were kids, you know, I can remember I was like camping with my dad, you know, listening to ZZ Top and thinking it was just like music for like lame old men, uh, but <laughs> you know. It, after after a while of like kind of going through different genres of uh you know related genres of like heavy music from from all different decades you know you eventually land on zz top i might have even been like queens of the stone age or something I was yeah to, they kind of brought, brought them brought them back into the into popularity yeah yeah and and fuck trace hombres is so good i mean it's it's definitely more in the texas blues uh category um, but it's got riffs though. It's got hell oh, riffs. Riffs for days, man. They're they're so and a lot of swagger and attitude that are, that's very great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yes. very charming. ZZ yeah. Top's like in the category of bands, and I think Grand Funk Railroad also is where you if you don't know really anything about the band, you've just heard them. It's very easy to like place them into like a shit pile. Like I, I I did this with probably both of those bands for an extremely long time. This is just like dinosaur rock. The, the name suck is like so dumb, and <laughs> you can kind of picture them, and then and they look dumb. And like maybe there's been some pop culture references, like The Simpsons. You know, like would make fun of made fun of Grand Funk, Grand Funk Railroad famously, like as Homer's favorite band, and Homer's <laughs> like Homer's like an idiot. So like you know. Caveman, caveman Homer loves caveman mm-hmm. kitty band that no one likes anymore. Right. So they just fall into one of those categories of their bands that you kind of just for some reason they're just like you think they suck, and then you actually like put them on and you're like, oh, so yeah. good. Oh my god, like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like this band is that good? I don't I had no idea. And that's always 
a pleasant surprise because generally you go into bands thinking it's because someone's told you like oh dude six band ever and you're just like all right i'm like prepared for something pretty good here yeah yeah no i mean there's there's <laughs> yeah amongst those bands that that kind of have a bad rap we're going to talk about some more grand funk railroad like coming up here in a minute so i'm gonna like hold my thoughts on that but but yeah there's there's actually some some true gems uh amongst those bands you know at least in some of their earlier material did you mention earlier early scorpions earlier i know that you're like mm -hmm. a big fan of the them that perfect example of a band that's you know generally considered to be kind of like vapid hair metal from the 80s but like their earlier output from what i understand you're more familiar with it than i am is actually like pretty solid so good it's, it's really really great uh hard rock this is before like rocky like hurricane and all that shit so and you know like blue oyster cult another another band that i think changed changed and morphed quite a bit but the early stuff like really rocks so hard and is really really good and psychedelic and um mm -hmm. in in very much in playing at the same time as a lot of these bands and just kind of like got a hit or got a big record contract i mean i i think a lot of these bands were signed to majors even even like obscure ones like sir lord baltimore and budgie and stuff like that mm -hmm. the other ones i would recommend this is not a deep cut but rainbow his debut album richie blackmore ronnie yep. james dio amazing this is a more obscure one there's this band called jerusalem i don't know anything about them it's a 1972 album just called jerusalem with a really weird cover that is a fucking excellent hard rock album i almost picked it for this but it just got edged out budgie never turn your back on a friend classic great album um atomic rooster death walks behind you is another kind of more obscure one that's really great and then the last thing i would recommend is not an album but a podcast uh, the Requiem Metal podcast did a 10-part series just on proto-metal where they just like basically go through like an encyclopedia of like every proto-metal band that ever existed with like songs too. And they definitely get into bands I have just like never even heard of. And it's it's so exhaustive and it's so good, but you really got to be like, you really got to be into this shit. So if, I love it. I if love this it. speaks to you, the next logical step is to drown yourself in a 10-part series on proto-metal. I still haven't done... I, I, I really want to check that out. I still haven't checked it out yet, but I, I definitely will soon. I love well, it. It's crazy too, because like it's 10 part series, but like there's like, a, then they do it by year. So it's the entire 70s. Oh shit. Um, and they'll do like two or three episodes just for a single year. So it's actually like much more than 10 parts. <laughs> Those guys are animals. Though. I, I don't have that level of de dedication at all. There's so much quality output from the 70s though. Like, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is go on to rate your music which I love, and you'll hear me talk about that probably five or ten more times throughout the course of this episode as a resource for discovering new music. But like every year of the 1970s, some epic classic shit comes out, I feel like. But anyway, I digress. I'll, I'll say this. Like I, I looked through a lot of stuff that I'd never heard. To me, a lot of it was boring. Like a lot of it was like, this. it's cool, but like, eh. It's just not doing it for me. So I mean, you do you do have to swim through some gunk here. There's there's no doubt about it. Oh, I don't just mean like in terms of like hard rock heavy music. I'm just talking just about in general music, the seventies. Music oh, yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, of course. The seventies was like a golden era. Totally, hundred percent.
Okay, so uh, the band is Captain Beyond. The track is Dancing Madly Backwards. This is off their self-titled album from 1972. This is their debut album. Band is from Los Angeles. What else we got here? Oh, the original lineup was former members of Deep Purple, Iron Butterfly, Johnny Winter, um, and his band. And the the riff master of this group is a dude named uh, Larry Rhino Reinhardt, um, who was the, also an Iron Butterfly. So uh, Captain Beyond, Dancing Madly Backwards. This was the one that I knew had to be on here. It was the pinned to the fucking episode. <laughs> this is kind of <laughs> like the spirit animal of the whole episode, in my opinion, because it's like a great mix of just like brain and brawn. It's like funky. It's like kind of stupid. It's boneheaded, but it's also just like the playing is absolutely like monstrous. The energy is amazing. And it's just like this not just this song, but this entire album is a fucking masterpiece, like 40 minute, or it might even be shorter than that, like masterpiece. But yeah. um, what is your take on uh, Captain Beyond, this album and the song? Dude, you said it all. I mean, I think I think this, this album probably embodies the theme of this episode, encapsulates the theme of this episode better than, than you know, probably any other track on the list. And definitely when you mentioned to me, like, yeah, hey, let's do an episode on riffs, I was like, well, th this song immediately came to mind. So it was definitely, if you weren't going to pick it, I was going to pick it. Or something from this record. I just love, I mean, I love everything about this song in particular and this record in general. And it's just endlessly listenable. It's probably one of, you know, one of the, the 10 albums I've listened to the most in the past 10 years. Just because it's kind of versatile. It's just like really fun music to listen to and host a party to. It's barbecue and music, you know, mm -hmm. and then. I really love the drumming. I think you 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 touched upon that, and and Bobby Caldwell, yeah, that dude is so good on this record, and and in so many tracks, I'm kind of like my ear kind of gravitates toward uh, the the drumming in particular. I don't know how to talk about drumming in like a technical sense, but I just love the sound, um, and he's just he's just a beast on on this record, and you know, I, just to follow up on what you were saying, you know, it's a, it's the the record's just like chock full of like really really awesome moments um you know there's the breakdown and raging river and the bridge section and thousand days of yesterdays with the solo at the end um the intro part to i can't feel nothing which i think we were discussing is adding to this list yeah um, that was that was a close one yeah it's a really heavy riff that's why i wanted on yeah yeah and as as the moon speaks to the sea that might be that's like a close second to my favorite track on this record because that starts off with like this <laughs> really awesome, but kind of corny, like arpeggiated, like guitar intro, right. That goes on for about a minute. It's like these like uh symbol, like these gentle, like symbols in the background and like these harmonies over the spoken word piece. <laughs> and the, the lyrics are, are kind of funny, but then the song just fucking takes off when Bobby, Bobby Caldwell comes in. It's just like such a moment. Yeah, there's just so much energy in this record. Um, the riffs are amazing. And it's, you know, I can remember exactly when I first heard this thing, we were in your car and we were driving down the road and you said to me like, man, I just found this shit, like, check it out. And and it was that solo, I think that- that oh, yeah, burn CD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. For For the listeners out there, like, uh, the Montro 72 YouTube video of this track is is uh, one to check out. But uh, yeah, I think that's it, man. Excellent, excellent choice. Just 
amazing track. Yeah, when you discover this band, you're like, oh, wow, there's like an album and a band I didn't know about that's like as good as like Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like that's the, your first your first kind of thought. It's uh, consistent, man. This is this is an all timer. It's consistent. It's just yeah. so good from beginning to end. There's well, no- and the, and the band featured Rod Evans, who was the original vocalist of Deep Purple for I think their first three albums, and then uh, they they recruited uh, Ian Gillen from Black Sabbath and kind of went on went on a streak that would define Deep Purple like much later on. So albums like in rock and machine head and fireball and stuff like that mm-hmm. um I, I like that uh, i'm glad you mentioned uh, bobby's drumming it's like super tricky but it like rocks and he's kind of like in that video you're talking about he's playing kind of like um i don't know what the name of the technique is but like he's, he's holding his sticks like the way a jazz uh, drummer would hold them and he's definitely like very influenced by latin music there's a lot of like percussion there's like some weird almost like like they, they they're trying to do like almost like a santana thing out of nowhere for some yeah. reason it's slightly it, oh. corny but it always it always works it always rules it adds like a funkiness uh in a groove to this album that um i don't think you find a lot on like or you do find a groove in like sabbath and deep purple and zeppelin but this is this is just a little more upbeat and and i don't know maybe maybe it's more r&b influenced or something like that the production on this is fucking amazing. Everything is like super clear in the mix. Uh, the guitars don't like destroy everything else in the mix, which is something you get quite often from this kind of music, especially like the really raw stuff where the guitar just takes over everything and you can't. Yeah. These like tin can drums that mm-hmm. don't sound good at all. Um, and a weird like channeling, like uh, you get like the vocals coming like in between the left and the right ear and weird, sh- just weird production choices where you're like, it's it's charming but it's also like it's kind of grating too yeah no i mean it's i uh, yeah you you're right on with that i mean the the production is amazing I don't, i'm not sure who produced it but but it's yeah everything is like super heavy but it's also balanced you know everything is very clear in the mix and uh yeah you get a bit of you get a little bit of everything if you're a drummer this record offers so much for you if you're a guitar player hell yeah there are riffs for days if you're a bass player same yeah like it has a little bit of something for everyone if you're just a casual listener you'll have a lot of fun with this one i think and and they they do that thing where they take a guitar the main riff of the song is um also happening on like organ or like hammond b3 or something like that so they're playing you hear the organ and the riff playing at the same time deep purple used to use this a lot a lot of bands used to use this a lot and so you get this kind of like interesting very very 70s effect and, and, and it really works. It really sounds great. Um, the song has a very weird structure, though. It's like a minute 30 of like this like groovy, funky 70s rock with like a very good riff. And then the song just kind of like skips any kind of chorus because it's just like all you've heard is verses so far. And then it just launches into this like super chugging riff and this fucking the, like one of the best solos ever, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the and then it, the 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 solo is like the most important part of the song. Like when this song just breaks out of the verse and goes into like the main riff, and then the solo, it's just it's fucking incredible. You'll just you'll be like blown away, no yeah. doubt. There's a reason we put the shit number one, like to get your attention right from the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, it just totally melts your face. Um, and then the song concludes with like two minutes of like this weird mathy proggy breakdown section, which is like. It, it's cool. It's kind of the least interesting part of the song, but it's like mm-hmm. they have to show that they can, that they're like bringing you to. I guess it's just seventies excess. You know, you gotta you gotta take that shit with, yeah. with this whole with this whole decade. You can't you can't get too picky about that. Yeah, you gotta show off your chops a little bit. You know? 
Yeah. Um, and th- this album is great. It was my kind of my uh, it was my door into like a lot of other 70s stuff that's a little more obscure, too, because I was like, oh, shit, this is like as good as any of the big stuff. So th- there's got to be more out there like this. So, yeah, every track has great riffs, amazing drumming and these like very thrilling parts that just like come out of nowhere. So uh, yeah, I can love this band. Um, do you got anything else you want to um, say about the great Captain Beyond? I, I mean, this this uh, it's the self-titled record, right? It's- yeah, they only have like two two or three albums, I think. Short, short-lived band, I think. I've, yeah, I've, I've went, I, I, I heard sufficiently breathless, which is a bit of a different thing. Um, I like it. Um, they definitely took it in a different direction and kind of expanded on like a seventies folk rock kind of sound. It's lighter. <laughs> it's lighter fare for sure. And another, another da- uh, downer is that I don't think Bobby Caldwell plays on that. So I think he was just the, this first record, but yeah, that's um, where the magic happened. I think on this first one yeah yeah dude no they just got the right players in the right in the right place at the right time and and put out this fucking masterpiece that largely i think went ignored for it seems like for decades but uh i'm glad it's getting some listens now hopefully it'll catch on yeah you can find this one in the record store is pretty easy so yeah, go, yeah. Go out and find a dusty copy that's what i got yeah all right let's uh let's take a listen to captain beyond dancing madly backwards
All right, this next one is a clay pick. We got Mountain, Traveling in the Dark. This is from the 1971 album, Nantucket Sleigh Ride. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the most 70 shit I've ever heard. And this is their third record. These guys are from Long Island, which is like kind of surprising when you hear them. Yeah. <laughs> and you've probably heard Mountain. They've got, they've got a couple like classic rock radio hits. Uh, and the ref, riff master here is Leslie West. Clay, why did you pick Mountain? What makes Leslie West a, a riff master? You know, it, it, this was just something that I kind of like stumbled upon when I was like researching for this episode. And I'm sure like a lot of your listeners, I was familiar with Mountain in kind of a casual way, mostly because of their song, Mississippi Queen, which is... <laughs> guitar you know, Hero. Yeah, song, which is a right? Guitar Hero track. You know, if you ever played Guitar Hero back in the day, you'd probably played that song. I wasn't really familiar with with their discography beyond that until more recently. You know, these guys took a lot from Cream, I think. Well, not I think. I'm I, I'm pretty sure that's 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 fairly well documented because of Felix Papillardi, who's the bassist and the co-vocalist with Leslie West, worked he cut his teeth working with Cream. And he might have even recorded and Disraeli Gears and maybe a couple of their other earlier albums and he might have even co-written Strange Brew, if I'm not mistaken, the Cream song, the famous oh, Cream damn. song. Wow. So, so, you know, they were definitely um, looking to pick up on where kind of Cream left off. And I know that, you know, they're, they're you know, pretty widely credited for popularizing, you know, the, the heavy blues that, that, that Cream kind of specialized in. So yeah, I mean, I just love the sound. I mean, they make they make really great use of that Hammond organ. I think Steve Knight was the was the uh, he's on the keys on this one. You definitely kind of get like a southern deep purple vibe. I'm pretty sure they were like formed yeah. in, in Long Island or something like that, but they 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 pull that sound off um, fairly convincingly. Yep, uh, they got that know. honky tonk piano. Right. Uh, and, the, and the verses or the chorus, I can't remember which. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they have that kind of breakdown section of the song where it kind of sounds like the band for a, se for a second. Yeah, um, a lot of like backbeat kind of swingy drumming. It's yeah, really good. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of um, pretty great deep cuts from this record, Nantucket Sleigh Ride and and a few of their others. I think their their first record and... Um, I don't know, just worth checking out. Leslie West is, a, you know, a great guitar player. Again, I don't think I'm qualified to like discuss the technical aspects of his playing that are that are, you know, like that are good. Um, I, from what I understand, he's, you know, um, has a pretty distinctive kind of vibrato. Um, and um, you, you got to watch a video of him playing. Like that's that's what you did for me. You were like, dude, yeah, you watch this video of this guy playing right now. And I was like, yeah. Oh, this He's mostly known, I think, for, for Les Pauls and maybe a couple of others. Like, that's typically what he would do. But there's a YouTube video called Leslie West Melts a Fender. And I think, <laughs> and I think it was, he's, he's playing a Strat. It's like a black and white video, right? Yeah. And it's like, the footage isn't great and it's all choppy, but it's, it's awesome. They're just like 15 to 20 second snippets of him just absolutely just destroying this guitar um, at some like St. Louis gig in like 77 or something um but with like serious blues feel not like shreddy like metal shreddy you know what i mean yeah these dudes loved cream like that was their thing they might have even like covered a cream song during that set list if i'm not mistaken Dude, this band is much better than cream in my opinion yeah i mean like they're 
Yeah, I think a lot of I think there was a lot of bands that um, a lot of famous guitar players, including Eddie Van Halen, who credit like Leslie West as an early yeah. influence. I mean, this guy influenced a lot of players, a lot of big, uh, you know, names in, in hard rock and metal and in the 80s, 90s, 2000s beyond. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Just plays with a, a lot more soul than like Eric Clapton, like based on the stuff that I've seen. You know, fuck yeah. Eric Clapton. Actually, I put that out there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do you know what a Nantucket sleigh ride is? By uh, any chance, you, I, I looked this up. You did. What is it? What is it? <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It's uh, it's the experience of being towed along in a boat by a harpooned whale. Which, <laughs> 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 well, like, I don't know if I think of that when I hear this song. Well, it's you know this is the name of the album. the 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 main riff in the song that it's it's very like proto metal. Like yeah. especially, it has almost like a, almost like a Celtic kind of like melodic scale structure or something. It reminds me of something like Ma like Iron Maiden would do later on, um, and a lot of like maybe like folk metal kind of acts, Thin Lizzy as well. Uh -huh. um, so it's like a cool song because it alternates between that like that main riff, which is like is very, it's a very like I don't know like mercurial riff, and then it goes straight into like this honky tonk Southern rock like Skinnerd kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just like pings back and forth between those two and it, it really works like it shows you how much diverse influence this band has yeah good shit yeah uh this this entire album is great um i i definitely uh listened to this one a few times i, I hadn't heard it before i know i think it's their most well-known album because it has a mississippi queen on it and if you had like a song on rock band or guitar hero you you like no matter what band you were at what era or whatever you like that song ended up having like a, a life of its own, like beyond that. So um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard have heard Mississippi Queen um, just on that alone. But the the mountain album that I was familiar with was uh, one called I think Climbing Mountain Climbing, <laughs> which is just the and the album cover is just like this dude like climbing a mountain. <laughs> right. And it's also, that's a very very hard rock and great '70s uh, album as well. That's actually, I think Mississippi Queen was on climbing. Is it on climbing? Okay, yeah. it's not on this one. Yeah, no, 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 no. But, ah. but but they're both great. But they're both great. Yeah. And anything else on uh, traveling in the dark? This is a new song for me that was introduced to me. So I, I love the song, and this album ended up being really, really good. Yeah, I you know I found some. I mentioned earlier that I'm um, a guitar player, pretty casual guitar player. But you know, um, I found some. Uh, kind of a guitar world magazine cut on like the intricacies of his playing and the nuances of Leslie West playing. And I'm definitely going to check that out when we're done here today. But uh, yeah, hope you all enjoy. All right. Let's listen to Mountain Traveling in the Dark. <laughs>
All right, this next one is a Jamil pick. This is Funkadelic. The track is called Hit It and Quit It. This is off the 1971 album Maggot Brain. Funkadelic were a Detroit band. This is their third record. And I'm sure a lot of people know this. It's the brainchild of uh, you know George Clinton, who formed uh, Funkadelic in 1964. Um, he basically formed a band when he found like a bunch of musicians like to back up his vocal group at the time, which his group at the time was the Parliaments. And then there ended up being, you know, Parliament Funkadelic and they just kind of like ended up morphing into one another and then being separated. And I don't know, it's just a, a revolving cast of musicians, basically. But the, the, the basic way people think of uh, George Clinton's like Parliament Funkadelic is like Parliament is is like straight up funk stuff. And Funkadelic is definitely much more psychedelic, more rooted in like hard rock um, and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. And, and the riff master in this band is Eddie Hazel, who actually left the band after this album, but he popped up later on some of their other stuff with a bunch of like songwriting and guitar credits. But I, I wanted to include Funkadelic on here because they don't really get the credit for contributing to like hard rock and heavy psych. Like they're they're really not mentioned very much in that entire canon of music, but the early funkadelic stuff is extremely riffy. I would say a lot of it is like pretty heavy, not like Sabbath heavy, but in terms of like groove and and just like the the bassiness of the riffs, like extremely heavy. Mm -hmm. It just had a, a lot of other influences going on in it as well that I think kind of people, you know, take take that fact and kind of like want to categorize them as like an R and B group or some some other shit like that. But um, Funkadelic was just not a pure funk band in the way that Parliament was. Um, yeah. They were like a super rocking band. Um, they were into Jimi Hendrix. They were into Slime Family Stone. They were into Motown, but they wanted to fuse it with like this dirty like brand of like hard, like psychedelic rock. Um, I'm sure they were doing every fucking drug under the sky. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this song just kind of sounds like something like Iron Butterfly or Deep Purple uh, would have done, but like they they couldn't pull it off because this is just too, this is too fucking funky <laughs> like for them. Definitely too funky for Iron Butterfly. Uh, the I, funkiest those bands could get is like a little bit of boogie, but that's, that's like, it's not going to cross over into like in this type of like in the pocket playing. No, no, no. I mean, I, I like loved that you picked Funkadelic for all the reasons really that you had just said, because when I went back and kind of revisited like, some of their earlier records, Maggot Brain and Self-Titled and and Free Your Mind, like I was kind of, because I had forgotten it had been a while since I revisited some of this music. And I, I, was, I, I was super pleasantly surprised about how rocking it was, you know, yeah. that, that all of the, like all of the influences that they bring in, it's, you know, um, I was listening to Free Your Mind and thinking like, this sounds like Electric Ladyland to me. I mean, it could be. Um, they do, they really do have a range too. I mean, Funkadelic is known for being funky, obviously, but you know, the, the first track off Maggot Brain is like one of the most anguished soul obliterating, like, you know, awesome, like emotional pieces of music. And that's, that's due in large part to Eddie Hazel, who's just a fucking beast. I love that dude. Um, you know, I think a while back you had said we were talking about funkadelic and you'd said like dude check out check out this song it's from their first record i got a thing you got a thing everybody's got a thing that track you know what i'm talking about yeah um, that one. i listened to that track man and i was like this is a master class in wah pedal usage and i spent like the rest of my afternoon 
inexpertly fumbling <laughs> with my wah pedal. I'm like, these are guitar goals. One day I'm going to learn how to fucking play. You got a thing. I got a thing. But I'm obviously nowhere, nowhere near that, that point. I, I, I'm afraid I'm not nearly as funky as is required to play that. So <laughs> just the fact of life. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're such a great band, their output, super diverse and, and just really, really great. Um, you know, I listening to this track in particular, I was thinking a lot about Robert Randolph and, and how, and how his, and his music definitely draws like a, like a, a lot of, a lot of influence from, from this track in particular, it would seem like, um, which is great. I love Robert Randolph, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think this was an awesome pick and a good way to kind of pivot out of, you know, that kind of more structured blues, rocky kind of stuff that kind of predominates this era in terms of riffs, you know? Yeah, this is a bit this is a bit more loose and kind of wild. And I think when a lot of people visit or revisit the Funkadelic stuff, they're viewing it in like the canon of like R&B, like Stevie Wonder record or like a Sly and the Family Stone. And it has a lot. I mean, it, it, it can slide over into that like pretty, pretty naturally, I think. But mm -hmm. the point is that like you're making the case that like these guys wanted like we're into riffs like these guys. Funkadelic was into like heavy, like head nodding, like riffs and rocking too. They just they just did it in their own way. And, uh, you know, Maggot Brain, this this album is is one of the best rock albums ever made. And that's what it is. It's a rock album like then yeah. they. You know, it didn't need to translate the blues into something or translate R and B into something. It's just, it's just living in that world and just is is interested in in bringing like heavy guitar like into the mix as well. So um, this is one of the best albums ever made. It's just hit after hit after hit. Um, you've got that title track, which is like one of the best solos ever ever played by Eddie Hazel. Uh, I was reading that there's a a radio station in Cleveland. That plays the that track, that first track on Maggot Brain, every Saturday at midnight, and they've been doing that for the last forty years. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> every single night at midnight. It's just oh. like that's so cool, man. That's that's really that's nice. Fucking shout outs, shout outs to Cleveland. That's I've never been to Cleveland, but I kind of want to go now. That makes me want to. That makes me want to like go check out Cleveland. What the hell is going on in Cleveland that no one knows about? <laughs> Great, actually, Cleveland is a legendary uh, rock and roll town as well. Dude. A lot of great bands from Cleveland. Okay, so we were talking about you know how this is one of the greatest albums ever. I I completely I completely agree. So just on a on a whim, I was like just took a second to like look up on on rate your music. Like what are the top rated albums of 1971, which is when Maggot Brain came out, and it's like number 14 on this list. I'm like. But There's not 13 albums better from that year than this one. There's just I, I agree, I agree. But listen to this list, okay? So this is 1971. It's gonna be one. some bullshit or what? No, no. This That's is good. Just oh, it's just a ridiculous year. Yeah. Uh, number one is Zeppelin Four. Number two is Master of Reality by Black Sabbath. Yeah. Number three is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Number four is Tago Mago by Can. <laughs> Five is Hunky Dory by David Bowie. Six is Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones. Seven is Metal by Pink Floyd. Oh, God. And then you got Joni Mitchell. And then you got Songs of Love and Hate by Leonard Cohen. Journey and uh, Sachin and... Uh, Sachin House Ooh. Coltrane. Oh, yeah. yep. Mm -hmm. That's the one. Thank you for bailing me out. because I, <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, just... <laughs> uh, 
and then like a couple others I haven't heard of, and then a Miles Davis record, and then Funkadelic. 1974 is just an insane year. I would yeah. put Funkadelic much, 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 much higher on that list. But holy shit, 1971, man. What a year to be alive. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Definitely. Um, so, you know, Maggot Brain, just a, a lot of people have heard this one. It's, this is not like a deep cut or anything like that. But it's just, it had to be on here. This is one of the, one of those basic picks that needs to be on here no matter what. So, uh, and that, I, I'll, I'll contend the A side from this album is just the most, like, uh, it's uh, it's the most unstoppable A side of any album you'll ever hear. Like, the first four tracks are just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, any last uh, comments about Funkadelic? Well, man, don't think so. Great track, great pick, you know, long live Funkadelic. Yeah. All right, so this is Funkadelic, hit it and quit it.
Are you having Steph deliver your beers? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask her to. She's just a... That's she's a damn just, good woman. That's a damn good woman right there. <laughs> I didn't expect that. She just opened the door and had a had a fresh cold one for me. I was like, man, what I do deserve this? <laughs> Keep them coming, toots. Keep them coming, toots. All right. This next one is a clay pick. The band is T2. The track is called In Circles. This is off of their 1970 debut album. It is titled It'll All Work Out in Boomland. This is uh, an English band. They are a listed as a progressive heavy psych rock band. And the riff master here is a lad named Keith Cross. I had no idea this band uh, or record existed until you picked them for our ongoing uh, album listening exchange. Clay and I, have, for the last like year or so, have just been doing this thing where we each take turns picking an album we're either very familiar with or we're not familiar with. And we just kind of both listen to it like during the work week and then just like yeah, either talk shit or praise the album <laughs> and it's uh so th- i think you picked you picked this one several months ago uh you said that you found it on rate your music somewhere like a high up list or something like that so yeah. i had never i had never heard this album i ended up really i ended up liking this album but i also <laughs> remember saying this song in particular is like the clear highlight of the album like this <laughs> and i think it's the first track on the album too if i'm not mistaken right it is, yeah. Um, I, I agree that this is the album highlight. I, I did love the the record as a whole. It kind of had this Court of the Crimson King kind of feel to it because, you know, the first track, I just mean in terms of structure of the overall record, because the first track is definitely a heavy piece. And then the record kind of mellows out a bit. But then like the, the 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 final track in this case, which is morning, super proggy, that's like the long the like the big PS de resistance kind of like this is like the focal point of the record. But like this, you know, the track in circles was was the pick for me because of the riffs. I couldn't identify a single a single riff that really makes this tr- uh, track kind of stand out because there's a multitude of them yeah a lot Um, of riffs a lot of riffs circling around here yeah it's this badass frenetic jam um you know it's like there's there's times when you know music like this can kind of inhabit that ecstatic music territory and you did some tsc episodes on ecstatic music and this is like one of those tracks to me that can kind of do that it just culminates in this really awesome i think it's around the four and a half minute mark if i'm not mistaken i would have to go back and check but it's you know there's this 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 lovely build up to this like really really awesome um kind of like tremolo strumming kind of technique that's like it's almost like some fucking uh, freebird shit or something. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean. It's like it accomplishes a similar kind of emotional, you know. It's it's you know it 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 does that. It's like a really really good piece where it kind of just builds everything up. And then you have like JLT, which is track number two, which is like a mellower, softer, soft rock territory, reminiscent of something on Pink Floyd's Metal, probably to me. Yeah, you know, no no more white horses is a great track. It starts off with like kind of you know kind of a Black Sabbathy riff or like something that kind of reminds me of like uh, that Stooges riff from I Want to Be Your Dog. You know, 
just like a classic riff that you can kind of utilize in a number of ways. But yeah, this album offers a lot. You know, I'm just happy that we came across it. It was a super recent discovery for me too. Just, you know, um, one of those records that was just quietly being celebrated amongst like these hardcore listeners of, of early 70s hard rock and prog and psych rock and things like that. It's it's a, it's a real gem. Yeah, I'd say this this is definitely fairly proggy, but still in the hard rock territory. They're definitely playing with some some tricky time signatures, and there's some uh, real attention to like dynamics and kind of stitching together various extended jams and movements. Um, it does have that like pastoral kind of like King Crimson-y kind of thing going on, but I think this was a trio. Uh, and, and the musicians are all, they're all insane players. I mean, like every, every movement in the song is like very memorable and sometimes like really crazy. There's like these super fast guitar runs that Heath Cross is playing in the first half of the song and he like brings them back. And it's, it's just like a really atonal, like quick guitar run that you just sounds like, I don't know. It's like proto, like extreme metal almost. If you were to like put the right amount of like distortion on that and like power, um, it would sound like really, you would sound like like a, like a mathy, chaotic mathy kind of like metal band or something. And I, I doubt that like bands like that are influenced by this in particular, but um, they were definitely just trying, trying out some weird atonal stuff. Maybe they were getting that from like free jazz and stuff like that, but very cool album. Definitely, uh, I think one that is not heralded all that much. So this is a little bit of a deeper cut unless you're like a true fucking prog dork. In which case we're probably like just covering the, you know, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. But you know, who cares? Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else on uh, T two? I don't think so, man. Let's hear it. All right, this is T two in circles.
All right. This next one is, I think this is a you pick, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Grand Funk or Grand Funk Railroad. The uh, track is called Please Don't Worry. This is off his 1969 album. So uh, yeah, we're in the 60s now. Tail End. Um, This is their second record. It's largely considered, I think, their best album. And it's referred to as the Red Album because of the Mm -hmm. cover. This is a Flint, Michigan band. They're a power trio. Uh, You got a Google pictures of Grand Funk Railroad. (laughs) They are like the most excessively 70s band you've ever fucking seen. They just have like velvet bell bottoms and vests with no shirts under and afros and handlebar mustaches. (laughs) And they look so awesome. And the the riff master in this band is a dude named Mike, uh, sorry, Mark Farner. We talked a little bit about this band earlier. This is one of those bands you you kind of always heard about and you imagine to be sort of terrible <laughs> because I think they were like one of the more hated and panned bands by like rock critics. And and then second, like everything, a lot of people know the song, we're an American band, which is like, a, it's kind of a classic rock staple. And it's yeah. just like a seventies party rock song. It's, it's a good, it's like a perfectly good song, but like, if that's how you judge this band, uh, I could see why you wouldn't want to go, go, go much farther if that's just not your thing. Cause it just sounds like Ted Nugent, it's kind of like silly shit or like kiss or something like that, which a lot of people love that stuff. Me like, um, it's not, none of that shit is for me really. Uh, this is definitely like the, the first big arena rock type band that we've encountered on this list. But anyway, why did you pick uh, grand funk, this album, this song? What's what, why do they belong here? It's the energy on this record is so fucking cool. Um, it definitely. And when you read about this record, you definitely read about it, like sounding like a live record. There's just, you know, riffs for days on this thing. I just love the sound of it. You know, it's it's got like a little rough around the edges. Uh, definitely like that live kind of sound. I love it that it's just a bunch of white boys from Flint, Michigan, <laughs> who jamming this shit out. And they're actually really good. I mean, like, we can't vouch, I can't vouch for, nor can you, I'm sure, the you know uh the later output american band stuff i don't think you want to go there with these guys you want to stick to the first two records probably this one the red album and on time or you know that's that's probably as far as you want to go with these guys but um just really really awesome players it's they're you know um it's just a super fun lesson uh, uh, record to listen to there's just endless grooving happening here the harmonies on the choruses are great yeah, very like Motown influenced. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, R&B influenced, especially in this track. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why I picked this one, other than I liked the the chorus a lot. I liked the harmonies of the chorus, and um, you know there are a ton of memorable riffs on this thing. And I'm not even sure that this is the song that has the most riffs, but it's um, the chorus riff is really great. It's just a fun song to listen to and drink beers too and you know yeah just crack, crack open a brewski kind yeah. of music this is yeah this is brewski drinking music right here the bass playing on this album is is so good it's like massive fuzzy like kind of sound and he, the bass player plays a lot of like the leads as well and he's just very soulful very good player i i, I bust my bass out from time to time and try and play shit like this <laughs> mm-hmm. um because just because it's so fun to play 
yeah, but yeah, this uh, Mark Farner, also the guitar player, he's ridiculous, like all over this track. He just kind of storms in with these like fast whining solos that just kind of like melt your face for like 10 seconds. And then he like goes back to the main riff and then the bass player is just like kind of carrying everything from there along with the yeah. drummer. So this is on the, this is like on the lighter end of, of this world, I would say it's um, definitely R and B influenced, um, yeah. especially with the vocal harmonies. It's definitely like a raw kind of power trio. Their distortion is not like, very fuzzy or like amped up at all so this isn't like bang your head kind of like hard rock it's just more like easy kind of kind of soulful refined kind of thing so again yeah. i like that you picked this because we're we're displaying kind of like uh the softer side of this stuff as well mm. um because i still think it like firmly belongs in this category of music it's broadly yeah. 70s music but it's like definitely like it's definitely riffy and trying to be heavy like especially with the production like the live feel of everything so yeah. uh grand funk like the scorpions like uh, zz top i would say like the, the the earlier stuff and mid stuff is just so timeless and good and yeah all they think all those bands eventually went on to do some really whack shit but um that's okay <laughs> like that's okay yeah. get, get paid you know right like zz yeah. top said just got paid just got paid <laughs> oh holy shit hold on let's pause for a second that riff might be my might be well i was gonna say i really really reluctant to say favorite riff of all time because there are so many great ones but just got paid by zz top classic top five maybe top 10 riff totally and if you like zz top grand funk's earlier stuff i think it, it scratches a similar itch and 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 i think that's what that's what we wanted to display here don't write this band off um zz top you should already know not to write off their, their rule um yes. so yeah this is uh this is great shit, Grand Funk. Please don't worry. You got anything else um you want to say about this band, Clay? No, to just just uh kind of piggybacking on what you were saying. I mean, it's just an awesome blend of like, you know, heavy blues, um, just you know, R and B, um, and like a bunch of guys who are like, you know, they're they're just locked in. Um, you know, it you know, listening to this record makes you want to see these guys live, bell bottoms and all. You know, of course, these days, I don't know if they're still a thing, but they're probably doing like the state fair circuit. Or they're something. doing state fair and casino circuit, 100%. <laughs> but, I mean, so is probably like whatever new incarnation of Mountain and ZZ hey. Top. And all of yeah. <laughs> this is where they get relegated to, man. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, they had their moment. Yeah, here, here's to the glory days of Grand Funk right here. This is a great <laughs> record. If you're listening, I you won't be disappointed if you check out if you check out this record, the the Red Album. Grand yeah, this is the important one. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely a keeper. I hope you enjoy.
Okay, this next one uh, is uh, me pick. And if you hated the last track, you, you might like this one because it's pretty much like on the polar opposite scale. This band is called Night Sun, two words. The, the track is called uh, Got a Bone to Pick. The album is called Mornin', um, like to mourn, M-O-U-R-N. Um, this is their 1972 album. It's the only one they ever put out. This is a German band. Um, this is pretty obscure, I think. Uh, I, I think only real 70s rock heads are going to know this one. The riff master here is Walter Kirsch Gessner. And, and I think what's kind of cool about this band is that they do like the opposite of like what we've heard a lot of so far, which is they never, ever fall into like a groovy boogie kind of rock rhythm, like at any point. Maybe that's the German stiffness. I don't know what uh, what it could be. But um, so many other bands like are really rhythmically like very groovy. And this, this band is not. Um, th these guys are definitely clearly into being like very trippy with a lot of like crazy effects all over the guitars. Lots of like guitar atmospherics, but I, I wouldn't categorize this as like straight up kraut rock or even really progressive rock because it's pretty like in the Black Sabbath deep purple mold. It's just like even heavier than that stuff, I would say. Like they're, they're definitely putting the organ line over the guitar riff thing, um, which, which I think is always like a good move that makes the guitar riff sound pretty heavy. But the way the song builds up is just, it's crazy. It's its actually really, really metal. And it's um, something that I was going to mention earlier, which is like, there's kind of two main approaches to like having a big riff in a song. And one of them is to just like storm out of the gate from the beginning with the riff. And it's just like, bam, it's right there. And it's mm -hmm. immediate. And the other one is to like build up something like to kind of pull or roll out the red carpet for this riff. And it can be very extravagant and excessive. It could be very awesome. It could be kind of like needless as well it just kind of depends but uh the way this song builds up i mean uh you know like the it's a they they equal sabbath here for like the year 1972 which is when sabbath 4 came out and this is just like super sinister like evil riffing there's a lot of guitar chugging and like doomy parts um they get a little bit proggy with things sometimes i would say compared to sabbath anyway and um I think I saw this described as like Iomi kind of like playing guitar for classic era Deep Purple. And I think that's kind of accurate. But I'd also add on to it by saying that uh, like only applied to Iomi's most like evil riffs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, what did you think about this? This is like I was when I first heard this, I was like surprised that, of how like heavy and doomy like shit what could be like way back in 1972. I mean, it it's pretty crazy to me how how fast like the the sound of of black sabbath and some of the heavy blues acts from the late 60s and early 70s kind of proliferated because like it's so cool for me to learn about all of these bands from from europe um and eastern europe that were like worshiping at the altar of iomi basically you know what i mean like uh, this stuff this stuff had reach early on and there's like this whole body of music which i've barely tapped into um from that part of the world that's that's like you know taking the the lessons of black sabbath and of deep purple and and doing their own thing with it and this was like an excellent find and you know they're 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 mixing up the same ingredients more or less i mean it's the it's that same combination of of organ riff and vocal 
that's so familiar that immediately brings to mind that you know Ian Gillen, Blackmore, John Lord kind of trilogy from from Deep Purple, and in a lot of ways, you know, I I, I heard Deep Purple when I listened to this record in general, not necessarily specifically this song, but you know, um, this you know, it, it the record itself has a lot to offer. I mean, ton of cool tracks on this thing. Living with the dying has got the like, uh, it's it's like the the one drum solo track. You know, with, there's all there's always got to be the drum solo track, and uh, well, not always, but you know, all the titans of of heavy heavy blues rock and psychedelic rock from that era have that one album that has the drum solo track, and this one's got um living with the dying which is which was a super fun track to listen to slush pan man another good one and then i love the sax that they brought in on the last track too don't start flying whenever i hear that in the context of heavy music i always think of stooges which i've mentioned several times and i love that band one of my favorites but yeah these guys do a ton of interesting things um you know they they are they're mixing the same ingredients so to speak as i said before but um, it's never generic. It's never stale. It's 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 definitely something that they put their own twist on. Yeah, and they're they're trying to be heavier than all the other bands. Like you could tell, like yeah. they're very very crushing, and it's just not afraid to be, have like a very sinister kind of doomy like quality to it. So I mean, I imagine if these guys played live, like if people heard them, they were probably like a terrifying band <laughs> to hear, just because riffs like this heavy and this slow were just not. I mean, they were there, but like there was always something kind of rooting them in like blues and like this, of course, is rooted in it. But it's just it's just taking it and making it more like atonal, more crushing, more sinister. I mean, like it sounds like slowed down, like Slayer or something like you know, Slayer does those like kind of like weird cryptic kind of things like it's it almost has that going for it just really slowed down. So. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to put something on here that was like stupidly heavy and would make you be like, what is from 1972? It's like, what? Yeah. So, um, it's know. great. It was a good pick. I had not heard these guys before you, before you picked the track for this, for the podcast. And this is the most obscure thing on the list. I think, I mean, I think it's known in, it's known in circles, like hard rock prog kind of circles, but yeah, there's, there's it, not much, there's not much like known about this band or, or this record yeah i mean no yeah i think you touched on it when we were talking earlier right at right at the start of this thing about how bands were messing with you know some of the more atonal or dissonant kind of sounds and this is a band i think that embodies that well um they definitely took you know what their predecessors had laid down and 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 you know turned it into something you know, unique. I mean, it's definitely the riffs and the organ and the vocal sound is 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 reminiscent of some of the other stuff that we've you've heard us talk about. But yeah, um, not the best, not the best singer. I'll say, like he's 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 fine. Yeah, yeah. Like on this song, he sings for like two minutes and then he like bounces and he's like out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not much of a factor, but he's just kind of got like the wailing kind of voice going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind of like in the Ian Gillen kind of. Uh, school of of hard rock vocal, but um, good shit, man. Great find. I intend to listen to these guys a lot more going forward. It's just the one album, right? They don't have more. It's just, yeah, just yeah. this album, one and done. Yeah, not yeah. I'm gonna have to give it a few more spins because this is definitely the of all of the tracks that we're you know that we've lined up for today and all of the music we're discussing. This is probably the one I'm least familiar with, 
but uh, I'm, I, I've, I've heard the whole record. I loved it. I'm going to give it a few more spins and I anticipate it will probably be spinning for a while now. It, it really, I really took to it after, after one listen, it was, you know, immediately enjoyable. So this is the one, if you want something heavy as shit, this is the one. So let's listen to Got a Bone to Pick by Night Sun.
one and only Thin Lizzy. The track is called Emerald. This one is from the album Jailbreak, 1976. This is Thin Lizzy's sixth album. They're an Irish band. Uh, this has got to be their most well-known album. And um, the riff masters here are Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. This is a clay pick. So why did you pick Emeralds? Why did you pick Thin Lizzy? And uh, why do they uh, belong to the uh, riff cult? I mean, they're, can I say, probably the amongst people who celebrate this kind of music, listen to it a lot, probably the best known, most influential band of all of the stuff that we've talked about today. You you can't really put them up against bands like Funkadelic because it, they're, they're kind of like different different things. But, but then Lizzie, they're just legends, man. I mean, there's not a lot left to say about these dudes. I mean, Phil Lynott, I'm pretty sure they have statues of that fucking guy, like in Ireland and stuff. He's just mm-hmm. like such a cool guy. And like, you know, that... That voice and the, and the and those bass rhythms and I understand was wasn't he like a key songwriting songwriting contributor as well? Yeah, yep. Um, He's the pride pride of Ireland. It's not Bono. It's this yeah. Guy. It's this fucking <laughs> guy, um, and for good reason, man. I mean, they're they're so much fun to listen to. Um, I mean, Jailbreak is is definitely their their best known record. You have the title track, obviously. The boys are back in town, and then this one, which is um, the heaviest the most rockin', the most metal track, which is why I picked it. And once you hear the riffs in this thing, like, you know, the the interverse riff that, that kind of uh, you know, recurs throughout the song, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's just a very fucking awesome song. Um, Bad Reputation and Black Rose also, you know, they, they have a ton of albums, actually, these guys. And they're not always equal in quality, but there's, in every... Thin Lizzy release, there's at least one or two tracks that'll that'll stick with you. Um, you know, when when again, when you mentioned like what what we were going to be doing for this podcast, I was like, definitely got to get Thin Lizzy in on there. Um, Did you know it's going to be this track? Yeah, I mean, if if you didn't pick, you know, Dancing Madly, Madly Backwards by Captain Beyond and Thin Lizzy, I would have picked them both. <laughs> yeah. uh, Emerald, just because you know. You and I have been drunken air shredding to this song for for many, many years now. <laughs> this is like the first, like one of the first metal songs ever made, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it, it definitely is heavy. And there's, and there's definitely a nexus, you know, between this track and, and some, some good froggy, sludgy, stoner rock, you know, modern day kind of proto metal or hard rock evangelists will will look back on king crimson and cite them as a pretty key influence um you know and you, and you gotta love the lyrics too uh <laughs> he's just they're melodramatic but you know they're earnest yeah i mean i just there's a there's there will always be a uh, soft spot in my heart for for thin lizzie so i don't know what what, what, what do you think about this one well thin lizzie is actually what the kind of the same effect happened with me and them where I, I think I always knew the name and I think I always thought of them as a hair metal band. And then I found out that they, they're the boys are back in town song. And if, if you've never heard anything else by Thin Lizzy, you've only heard the boys are back in town. <laughs> I can understand that you'd get like the really the bad, like the wrong idea about this band because like, I remember this, like that song was fucking in full house. Like Jesse's band would like cover it and like, <laughs> Toy Story or something. Yeah, it was probably like it just has. It's been used in like 
pop culture too many times and heavily it's heavily commercialized yeah heavily commercialized it's a pretty corny song i mean i once you like once you get into thin lizzy and then you, you like rediscover how great that song is actually the guitar yeah. parts and everything but it is it, it does come across as like kind of like a soft rock kind of like thing um so you could get the wrong idea about this band very easily but then once you're kind of deep into this album and the rest of their discography you realize like this is one of the first metal bands ever this is like heavy metal through and through like whether they call it that or not like everything about it is metal it's like fist pumping uh it's got like shreddy guitar thea theatrics like throughout the entire track there's like parts where just everyone stops and the guitars are just like going crazy there's like uh a blistering solo by Brian Robertson. There's like driving bass. There's like crazy drum fills and like fast playing and like galloping bass. This is metal, like at the end of the day, like as proto metal as it gets. And I think Thin Lizzy wanted to be a metal band. I mean, the song is even like about going into battle. It's like, it's like proto, like put your sword up, like kind of Iron Maiden y kind of metal, in my opinion. <laughs> and, and Thin Lizzy was like a very universal band. Like I think everyone loved them, like hard rockers loved them. Metalheads love them, like hippies, like glam rock crowd, like mm -hmm. a very, very influential band. Um, and they're very influential to people like, you know, Paul Diano era, like Iron Maiden and Metallica as well. Of any band on this list, it's like difficult to separate the guitarists from the rest of the band because Phil and Brian, like while they round out the band, like in a, in a great way with the rhythm section or whatever, mm -hmm. it's just like those two guitarists are just like unbelievable. Like this is like the best four piece. This is like one of the best four piece bands ever where like yeah. all the members of the band are playing an instrument, including the vocalist. There's not like a front man wandering around with a mic. Right. So this, this band is just so good. They have a super deep catalog. Almost everything is really, really good to incredible. And I think they're as important as a band as like Sabbath and Zeppelin. And mm -hmm. I think it's always been that way, but I think a lot of people in heavy metal and hard rock, like, who are making that music now are like especially singing the, like the praises of Thin Lizzy. Like you can't go to a, sh uh, a rock or metal show without seeing Thin Lizzy patch on the back of someone's vest or t-shirt or something like that. Like these mm -hmm. guys are 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 like I think getting their due once again. So uh, yeah, incredible bands like the songcraft, the harmonies, everything everything about this band is like the full package. Yeah, I mean if you you if you listen and enjoy listen to and enjoy music that that features dueling guitar leads that band owes a debt to thin Lizzy, and i'm sure they'd be happy to admit it because they're really you know i would say like the first band to feature that kind of but for sure and a lot of rock critics use that term dueling guitar when it's just like two guitar players that both like are equally good and mm -hmm. like do kind of showy stuff but that's not what like dueling guitars are like it actually sounds like these two guitarists are like fucking going after each other like solo to solo and like yeah. coming they'll all come together like at certain times uh, where the whole band will kind of like groove together and then they'll like kind of shoot out and then each member is kind of just really doing their own thing so that's where a lot of bands take their influence from thin lizzy is being as dynamic instrumentally as thin lizzy with all of the instruments but also like just having like songwriting chops and like melodic chops like this is why thin lizzy is like so many musicians favorite band in the world there's a reason for it yeah. they're really like everything everything you fucking need in what in one band yeah no i'm glad you mentioned the uh dueling guitars thing because in a lot of these tracks including this one and a lot of thin lizzy tracks there really is almost kind of like a call and response thing 
between the two guitars. It's like one up and, you know, it's like they're, they're each trying yeah. to like match or do better than the other. And like, you know, we're all competitive in one way or another. You know, it seemed to me like if I was like in a studio and I have my counterpart over there and he's like shredding the solo, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to match that, if not make it better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So you can kind of tell that there's that like that that friendly uh, competition amongst uh, amongst the two guitar players in this band. And I know that there's kind of like a revolving door of guitar players within Lindsay for a while. But um, but, yeah. but these were the two like in the classic lineup. You know, yeah, anyone? yeah, for sure, for sure. And they definitely played super, super well together. The competitive thing is is also true of just this genre in general. Like they're just trying everyone, not everyone. It's not the goal of every band, but a through line goal is to like, how can I be heavier than yeah. than the last band or this current band that is like the, the heaviest ever. <laughs> and so there's just constantly this like uh, this competitive streak of who can be heavier, who can be faster. And this, I think, where a lot of like the macho and testosterone and shit and speed comes in. And um, uh, at a, you know, you can say what you want about it. It, it, it. It's probably pretty obnoxious, but it also has yielded like great results. And this is why we have extreme metal, because mm. the metal is just extreme metal is just about like taking it further and further and further. And that's this is just one of those genres of music that can. It seems like it's just can be infinitely taken into into more and more extremity, you know, and people drop off as at certain levels, you know what I mean? Like everyone's got their, their comfort level here, but then Lizzie, like super important band to the metalhead, super important band, classic rock band in general. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't get their due also like huge, huge band, like millions of people love them probably have sold millions of albums. I still think this band doesn't get their fucking due. No, they don't. They really don't. I mean, um, and I think there are a lot of record. I mentioned earlier too, about like some of their records that, maybe not as acclaimed critically, which, but they, but they always have like a handful of gems in there. Like they always had that spark. They were always able to like uh, turn out good shit. Like through through many years and many album changes or uh, many lineup changes and, and all of that, they, they're. But Phil was a constant, right? Throughout the band. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like remarkably consistent, largely due to Phil and I, um, Irish legend, God bless him. I remember the first time, I remember, remember that band, The Darkness. They had like that big hit in the early two thousands, and they were like just being a butt. They were just being like a fucking butt rock band, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I forget what the song. What was I believe it? in a thing called love. I believe in a thing called love. Okay, right. So yeah. like, obviously, the most schlocky, like eighties hard rock heavy metal thing. But I remember the guitarist wearing a Thin Lizzy shirt. And yeah. this did not make me want to check out Thin Lizzy because I thought I, I kind of liked I kind of liked that song in that album or whatever because but it was it's one yeah. of those albums you like for like two weeks and then you're like I, I don't need to ever hear this again, um, <laughs> and but I remember him wearing a Thin Lizzy shirt and thinking like if K okay, if this guy's wearing a, like a Thin Lizzy shirt and this is me not knowing really anything about Thin Lizzy other than maybe the boys are back in town being like yeah that's like a band that's a that's an ass rock band I'm not gonna check that out There's no <laughs> fucking way the band's gonna be good if like that's what they're expiring to. And then, you know, fast forward five years and I'm like, I stand corrected. <laughs> like, <laughs> I stand corrected. You know, there's a theme with this kind of music. It's like, you might, if you're not initiated into this stuff, a lot of this stuff is like, seems like it's really going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> you got to give it a shot. You give it, give a, it shot. a shot. I mean, if you don't, I mean, if nothing has jived with you on this list so far, I mean, this is just not for you. Like, I don't, I mean, know, what to, I don't, know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Who would have thought that early grand funk was good? I mean, like, who'd have thought that like early Scorpions fucking rules? I mean, yeah. or like ZZ Top. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, a lot of bands don't get their due or, 
maybe they have a, a bad reputation for whatever reason. A lot of these cases, it's unjustified because these bands, you know, they do have some good shit and they definitely influence a lot of the shit that we listen to today. So big time. All right. So let's listen to Emerald by Thin Lizzy. Down from the glen came the marching men with their shields and their swords to fight the fight they believe to the right. Overthrow the overlord to the towns where there was plenty. They brought plunder, swords, and flame. When they left, the town was empty. And children would never play again.
Okay, we are down to the last track. This is my pick. This is the Flower Traveling Band. The track is called Satori Part 5. It is off the 1971 album Satori. Um, this is a Japanese band. The riff master here is Hideki Ishima. Um, and we definitely saved a weird one for last, as I tend to do on this podcast, uh, because I think you got to reward the people who stick around to the end. What did you think of this, Clay? I'm very, very curious. <laughs> I loved this fucking album. <laughs> I thought it was so great. Um, another kind of like new discovery for me. It, you know, it's it's definitely a precursor to Doom in a sense. It, it's just, I don't know, it's just a great album with this kind of like occult kind of vibe. And, and definitely you can kind of, they get into these prolonged jams where I'm going to circle back to ecstatic music and that kind of thing where you just kind of like, zone out and it like takes you to a place you know in your head i love the vocals joe yamanaka um r.i.p i think he died of lung cancer about a decade ago but um he has this like unhinged kind of like child in time ian gillen whale this king diamond whale yeah, um, it, might, it might make you uncomfortable <laughs> it's fucking great man i loved it she is an awesome guitar player too i mean you can definitely feel the influences that he brings in that are not blues influences you know like i think he was like super into indian music and utilized a lot of those types of scales um and even invented some kind of i think it's called sitaria which is like was designed or its purpose was to be utilized in Indian music some way, but I think he invented that instrument, if I'm not mistaken. But, oh, damn. Um, but those but those influences are definitely pre uh, prevalent, like throughout this record, especially in Satari 2. Um, I know I think we're doing Satari Part 5, but definitely, definitely a, a great album to listen to and a change of pace, too, from a lot of the stuff that we've been listening to. This is more akin to, like, Night Sun in a way. They're definitely experimenting more and, like, you know, really trying to to wade into some new sonic territory here, at least at the time. Yeah, very heavy. Also, the album plays as one track, although it's split into several pieces, but they they all have the Satori as the title. So this is this is something to be listened to in one in one go, definitely. Yeah, this is very very heavy too. <laughs> like it's trippy. It's kind of like monk like psychedelic rock with massive. I would say like almost metallic riffing like he'll do he'll do a lot of the guitarist will play a lot of like speedy kind of like runs that are palm muted so it sounds you know like proto thrash or like proto death metal or something mm -hmm. uh, kind of like this jing, 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 kind of thing but most of the time the the um tempo is pretty slow um and very and, and there's a really like a mystic sort of vibe like throughout this whole thing it's very different like you're saying clay like this is very different from the stuff we've heard up until this point and i think this album is kind of like in its in its own sort of category and this is a pretty this is a fairly well-known like uh, obscure album you know it's one of those albums that's like obscure in the in the greater rock canon 70s rock canon but like of the more obscure ones like this one gets a fair amount of like credit and praise i, th I remember reading that the yoko ono was friends with these with this band and that they had met with like John Lennon, maybe jammed on some shit together too. So, you know, yeah, maybe they, maybe they're both revisiting India at the same time. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I'm a little unclear about the connection. I think it was, there was a dude, Yuya Achita, um, who was like friends with John Lennon or something. And I think he had, he was like kind of a Japanese singer, producer, actor, like general entertainer, but he might've like 
opened up for Lennon or the Beatles or something. I don't know. It's funny that there's that connection because this is the furthest thing that you can imagine from anything John Lennon put out. Yeah, but it's probably Yoko Ono's like connection to like Japanese music and the like kind of avant-garde happening there and stuff like that or like burgeoning psychedelic rock scene because there was a lot of heavy psych rock coming out of Japan during the mm-hmm. 70s. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's a cool connection. I learned actually that uh, Flower Traveling Band was sampled by Cypress Hill at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know his song? Uh, shit, I can look at I didn't, I know like three Cypress Hill songs, so it's like uh, not, probably not one of those. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Traveling Band. I think it's like from one of their later records. Well, that doesn't fucking surprise me because the uh, producer for Cypress Hills, DJ Muggs, and that guy... That guy's like uh, taste and collection runs so deep because if you listen to like his productions, he uh-huh. still produces for a lot of re- not just for Cypress Hill. He produces for a lot of like awesome grimy kind of like hip hop. Like I did a whole episode about this, like my hip hop episode, where it's like kind of quieter, sinister kind of beats. And like half, of, like a couple of them were DJ Muggs beats, and he's the re- how the the reason he can get his beats to sound so like murky and like heavy and like ominous is because he samples shit like this like deep like cuts from like the proto metal and like prog rock and experimental music you know yeah throw some heavy drums on them or something yeah definitely i think that i think the song's called band of gypsies or something like that but i gotta check that out it's a really cool shit man another really good find i've learned a lot about you know, early 70s riff rock, you know, just in the, and, you know, we had been listening to this kind of stuff for years, but, you know, Flower Traveling Band and like Night Sun and bands like that where I was definitely new to. So I definitely learned a lot about this style of music, you know, just in preparing for, to do this thing. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think having this thing be well-rounded is a, is a good, you know, you need your Thin Lizzie's and your Grand Funks, but you, and you need these two, you know, Flower Traveling Band and Night Sun and stuff like that. Just And T2, yeah. which is just kind of like give you the full sampling of what's going on. Um, yeah. um, just the last thing I would say about this song is, uh, you know, it, it kind of sounds like a funeral procession or something like that. Or It's just got this like extended guitar soloing, the slow paced drum beating that's very mantra-like. Like you're saying, the singing, which is just like super wailing and repeated phrase, like out of tune, but that's okay. Um, it's just an insane track like it's operating on a whole different wavelength than anything like that stateside or in europe um and you gotta uh, this is a good entry point into japanese like heavy psychedelic music from 70s and beyond like there's definitely a whole scene here and a lot of like classics that are called from from japan so we're gonna go out on this track because it's it's uh kind of a droning and a weird one and we want to leave you in a weird mood um (laughs) but um you know, Clay, thanks so much for collabing on this episode with me. I, I really couldn't think of a better person to do this with. Hell yeah, man. You. We've uh, shared shared many a riff together. <laughs> Thousands of riffs. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I mean, I owe you for like half half of the music I listen to and like the shit that I'm into. I owe you for being like, yo, check this out or yo, check that out. I mean, you're you're uh, a awesome awesome guy to to know to you know kind of turn you on to different things because you're constantly exploring you know musical avenues and things like that so thank you so much for having it's me a, on. it's a sickness it's a disease trust me <laughs> well, well yeah i mean i think it's nice to have people like and you're this for me too like 
we can kind of dump music on each other and know that like it's going to be listened to whereas if you like hit up your friends who are like less insane about music than you are and be like hey check with sally like they're just they're just gonna be like yeah whatever dude yeah yeah it's good to it's good to have someone who will give it the time you know what i mean like someone who's like interested in exploring music and expanding that and you know we all have our own personal relationship with music and it's all fine and good but yeah um i definitely owe you for for turning me turning me on to a lot of cool shit over the years so it was really awesome doing this man i really do appreciate it and uh yeah, I mean, I think what you're doing with Sonic Cloth is badass, and I hope it catches on more and more. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to my day job, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the shit I do to to make the other stuff seem okay. So we will be back for part two with Clay here, um, where we pick out some of the best kind of like hard rock riffy stuff from the last what we'll figure it out, 15, 20 years maybe. Um, yeah. I'm kind of thinking about avoiding the '90s just because you know, I don't know. We could we could kind of keep it current. I think there's I think there's plenty of shit in the last 15, 20 years that mm -hmm. that is very very serviceable here. But well, that should be coming soon. I hope to get on a more regular schedule. I am like moving pretty soon here though, so like uh, I could there might be another lull. So uh, you know, just stay subscribed and I'll get to you when I fucking can. I don't, know to, I don't know what to tell you. Leave me a rating and review if you like what you're hearing. And um, if you would like to collaborate on a musical rabbit hole, you can always uh, pitch me at thesoniccloth at gmail.com or you can DM the Instagram page. Uh, just search for the Sonic Cloth and we can make that happen. Uh, thank you once again, Clay. Appreciate it. We'll, thank we'll, you, man. We'll see you shortly on the next one. And until next time. Hell yeah.